Let me say one thing from last week. Last week we've been going through, those who haven't been here, we've been going through the Ten Commandments. Actually, we've been going through Exodus, and in the process of going through Exodus, we hit the Ten Commandments. But um, we talked about the first three commandments, and last week was um, do not take the name of your, the Lord your God in vain. And we talked about that in the context of what vain means. It means to empty, to strip meaning away from. Um, whenever we use God's name in a way that is for our own purposes, in a way that doesn't bring him glory, that's actually taking the Lord's name in vain. And in a larger sense, the way that we live our lives, because we bear the name of Christ, if we live our life in a way that's dishonoring to God, um, that you're essentially violating the spirit of that command. But we had you brainstorm a little bit, and people threw out different ideas. And I had a comment made at the end, and I just want to mention this, that there was some uh, person who said, you know, it felt like there wasn't much grace being shown. Um, because we said something like, even the phrase, God bless you, which gets used, um, we just throw it out at the end of the sentence, uh, you know, or we tell someone, well, God bless you. Um, we say it after somebody sneezes. And the, the question was, was that taking the Lord's name in vain? And, and the purpose last week wasn't to give a list of rules of things that can and can be said, but to stop and think about those things. Uh, certainly there are people who say, God bless you, and mean it every time they say it. And use it as an evangelism tool to let the other person know that I have a relationship with the living God. So be careful from last week if you felt that, that there was a lack of, of charity, a lack of grace, then that was not the, that was not the intention. So um, it is important to think those things through. But today we have the fourth command. And the fourth command is the one that I've been concerned about ever since we started Exodus, actually. Um, because it has to do with honoring the Sabbath. Um, and this is where our theology is all going to come together. And what we do with the Sabbath tells us a lot about the way that we interpret the rest of the, the Bible. Uh, when my mom grew up, so this is one generation before me, she grew up and on Sunday she was allowed to go to church and to read her Bible or to sleep. Those were your choices. Or to sit quietly. As a child, she hated Sunday. She told me, worst day of the week. We hate it. All the other kids are outside playing, and we're sitting inside. Because that was honoring the Sabbath. Um, I grew up going to a camp. Um, still take, well, we haven't been for a few years to work, but back in Pennsylvania. They have a snack bar, and they would dish up ice cream and big ice cream cones. I mean, they were famous for it, except on Sunday. They would not dip ice cream on Sunday because that was physical labor and that was violating the Sabbath. So they had this, and they, there were people in there making food, there were people doing other things, but dipping ice cream, that was wrong. So we have these ideas about the Sabbath and what it means on the Sabbath. I'm sure if I stop, in fact, if somebody has a Sabbath story, what you were expected of when you were a kid on the Sabbath, um, or on Sunday, if we're going to be honest, um, you can share it here if you want to. Anybody have some bizarre ritual thing that was part of your life growing up that, that wasn't Sabbath? David, I still remember the first time that I got to do swimming on the Sabbath. Okay. Yeah, because swimming would have been... I mean, we got to play outside and everything, but... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> did, did you feel guilty swimming? No, probably not. But maybe your parents did. Yeah. And there were, uh, in uh, the United States until not long ago, there were, and there are still some states that have blue laws for certain businesses that can't be open on Sunday. Um, now, 
the, the question is, what do we do with this command? So let's let's read the command out of the um, Ten Commandments. Um, so this is Exodus 20, verse 8. It says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So that is the command. Um, six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day, that's the day God rested, we're to not labor. Um, you notice how in this command, God is shutting off loopholes. Not you, not your son or daughter, not your slaves, not your animals, not even the stranger who happens to be passing through. Nobody's going to be doing any labor. Um, by the way, it's easy for us to transplant Sunday and going to church on Sunday as honoring the Sabbath. But notice there's no command here to attend any sort of meeting. What is the command about the Sabbath? Don't work, and it's to rest. Now, the, the, the problem with the Sabbath is it's in the Ten Commandments. And, and so we, we have kind of an issue with that because we all know that there's, when it comes to how we relate to the Old Testament law. That's a rub for people. What do I do with this whole Old Testament? Um, I have known people who just throw it out. You quote something out of the Old Testament, and they say that's Old Testament. It doesn't mean anything. Well, wait a minute. This is part of God's word to us as well. What do we do with it? Um, but we also then get to the New Testament, and this is where our theology will come in. Are we under the law? Yes or no? No. We're told that we're not. It's the point of the book of Galatians. It's the point of Romans. We're not under the, we're not under the law. So, so now you have to ask, well, then what do we do with the law? And what do we do with something like the Ten Commandments? It's very common for people to do something like this. And it's actually how I figured everything out for a long time. There's three parts to the law. This is what I would have said. There's three parts to the law. There's ceremonial, there's um, civil, and then there's a moral command. Okay? So we're going to throw out all the other parts of the law. The civil part, that would be your ox went into my garden and trampled it and... So, or you, your ox is on my property, and I kill your ox, so we split the ox. Okay, that's a civil law. That's dealing with how you relate to each other. We can toss those laws out. Ceremonial laws, what the priest dressed like, and so on, and the, the food laws, the dietary laws. Let's toss those out, and have with some justification. But the moral part, we better obey. Okay, and and where do we say that the moral law is found? In the Ten Commandments. And right in the middle of the Ten Commandments is honor the Sabbath. And I would want to suggest that not one of us have ever really honored the Sabbath. For one thing, when was the Sabbath? Saturday. It was yesterday. Anybody work yesterday? How many worked yesterday? Yeah, how, how many worked yesterday? Raise your hands. Okay, you are all Sabbath breakers. But you may say, no, well, but I'm going to honor the Sabbath today. Really? Um, I got up this morning and made breakfast for the family. And April helped. Um, uh, we, we made breakfast together. All right. No, I actually cooked the eggs and the bacon, and she made the toast, and we put it together. I've, I've broken the Sabbath. Um, you weren't allowed to. You were to prepare your food ahead of time. You were not allowed to kindle fire on the Sabbath. So when I turned that stove on, well, our stove, the little clicky thing, doesn't work. So I had to strike a match. That's kindling a fire. I have violated this. Even if Sunday is the Christian Sabbath, I violated. So we also have a problem in that that distinction between civil and ceremony and moral is nowhere made in the Bible. That's a creation of ours to try and understand 
how we can fit this all. So, so with that background, you can see why I was a little nervous about coming to the Sabbath. What I want to do, and I don't know if we're going to have time to do this, a half an hour, even with well, we'll see if we have time. Um, let's look at what the, what the Bible says about the Sabbath in the Old Testament. And then let's go to the New Testament. And I want to look at two parts of the New Testament, what the Gospels say about the Sabbath, or keeping the Sabbath, and then what the Apostles, the Apostolic writings, say about the Sabbath. Because I, I think we should know this, otherwise we just kind of limp along and we make rules. Don't use scissors on the Sabbath. Don't, on the Sunday. Don't, don't go swimming on Sunday. Don't scoop ice cream on Sunday. Um, and we sort of settle into a general, well, I just kind of won't do what I normally do on Sunday and I'll go to church. And if it's a principle out of God's word, then we ought to have a better feel for it. So go back to Genesis chapter uh, 2. This is, of course, the beginning of the Sabbath. It says, um, what we're trying to do is draw principles here. Uh, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his labor um, that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Uh, Question, important question, why does God rest on the seventh day? Because he was finished, okay? He wasn't tired, right? Okay, very good. He was not tired, right? Everybody agree with that? Okay, that's interesting to enjoy what he created. Sit back and actually look at this incredible creation. I've never thought about that before. That's, that's it. I okay, to set it as a holy day. Okay. Any others? To set an example for us, okay, that that um, we set up an order of creation that we work six days and rest on the seventh. That rest is important for us, and so all of those thoughts. We don't know what it is. All we know is he rested, but he wasn't tired, okay, um, because God doesn't get tired. All right, now go to Exodus chapter sixteen. Uh, This is actually the first mention of a Sabbath in the Bible. Um, When they are, when manna is going to be given to the people. If you go to uh, Exodus 16, 23, of course we studied through this passage. Um, And manna is going to be given. It says, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it, which is what had happened before when they left it overnight. Um, eat it today, for Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. Um, now go to verse 29. There's a little part where they don't obey that. Um, Verse 29, see the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. There's two principles to that. Um, God gave us the Sabbath. Right? That's it. God gave you this holy Sabbath. And the second is that God will provide even in the case that you are not out working for yourself. Because they were pretty sure that there wasn't going to be food, and now there's food. So we have a Sabbath principle that God gives us the Sabbath. Um, and that God is going to provide for his people if they honor the Sabbath. Okay. By the way, that becomes even more clear later. Um, you all, in the interest of time, we can turn there if you need to, but you all know that there was a Sabbath rest for the land, right? You plowed, uh, uh, worked the land six years, and then what? Seventh year you took off. Well, 
how are you going to feed? I, I, it's mind-boggling to me. What does the farmer do for a whole year? It, it, I'm, I'm sure you had a long vacation, but you don't go out. You don't work your land. So where does the food come from? They stockpiled it for the previous year. Yeah, they? and God says, if you do this, I will provide such food on the sixth year that you will have food through the seventh and until you harvest in the eighth. Okay. Um, by the way, did the Israelites ever honor the seventh year rest of the land? No. No, not once. That's why they went into captivity for 70 years, because it was 490 years of not keeping the Sabbath rest for the land. God gave the, the land its rest, and he put them into captivity. He provided for them some other way. But it's an amazing thing because the Sabbath is an, an incredible gift to, to man. Right? Imagine if you had a boss that told you, you know what, you seem really stressed at work. So I want you to take an hour off every afternoon. Do whatever you want, just don't work. Sleep, um, hum, uh, do crossword puzzles, just don't do anything else. And you say, well wait, I, I really need the money. No, I'm gonna pay you. If you're not going to get my job, no, no. You're one of my most valued employees. You get to do. Would you go and say, "Oh, stupid boss"? And yet, isn't that what people tend to do with this, with the Sabbath? It was kind of like this became a burden to us. The Sabbath could actually become a burden. And by the time of Jesus, of course, it was a burden. So we've got some principles. The Sabbath is given by God. It has to be accepted by faith that God will actually provide what he promises to provide. Now, when we get to Exodus 20, this is part of God's covenant with the people. And if you go back to Exodus uh, 19, um, I believe it's verses 4 through 6, um, this is the lead-up to the covenant that God has given. And God's explaining why he's giving his law to the people. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of this uh, the covenant that God is making with these people is to set them apart as a holy nation and a treasured possession. And the Sabbath does that. The Jews are an unusual people because of the Sabbath. Uh, a couple other verses from the other from the Old Testament. I just want you to see this. Go over to Exodus 31. starting at verse 13. Um, actually, we'll start at, well, it's actually verse 12 is very short. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I the Lord sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among the people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put, put to death. Uh, therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. This is one of the covenant signs for the people of Israel, that you obey the Sabbath and you keep the Sabbath. Um, so it's a serious thing in the Old Testament, the Sabbath. It's a day of rest. It requires faith to access it. It's a gift from God, but it's also the sign for those people. Okay? Comments or questions? Okay, let's go to the New Testament. By the way, there's a lot more to be said, but I think you get the feel for it. Um, this is a, a sign between God and the people of Israel. 
right? Now we get to the New Testament. Um, and Jesus um, <coughs> almost seems to delight in tweaking the Pharisees about the Sabbath. Right? Start thinking about all the times that Jesus does something on the Sabbath. By the way, remember, well, this is that's actually, I'm going to put these in reverse order. But the early Testament church is Jewish. Okay? It's a Jewish organization. It's really a Jewish uh, cult, in a sense. I, I know I use that word, it sounds weird, but they were a group of Jews who were following Christ. And it took a lot to blast them out of being just Jewish, right? I mean, God had to send visions uh, down. And Paul spent most of his time writing about one of the other Jewish signs, which was circumcision. And there was the Judaizers that came in. And all of that is going on. And in the middle of all of that, the Gospels are being written. You guys all understand the Gospels were the first books that are written. What's the first book that was written? James. And then what's after that? I believe it's Galatians. David, am I right? Galatians is next. What does Galatians deal with? Well, yeah, but more than that, this battle that's taking place over what is this church going to look like? Is this a Jewish church? Do you have to be circumcised? Do you have to obey the law? What do you have to do? And it's in that context that the Gospels are being written. Don't think the Gospels are the first books. They are being written during this time. So I think it's significant that the Sabbath is mentioned as much as it is. Because look, there's going to be three things that are going to separate Gentiles from Jews. What are the three things? Circumcision. Circumcision the dietary laws. And the keeping of the Sabbath. And the keeping of the Sabbath. And yet, what does God want to do? In Ephesians, he tells us that Christ came to break down the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles. And the church is to be one church. spread out, but at the beginning we believed that they continued to meet the church on the Sabbath, but eventually it switched over to Sunday, which is called the Lord's Day, because that's the day of Christ. So keep that in mind. These are not stories, and these are stories that are being told in a context, and the context is, how does the church relate with Gentiles and Jews together? So um, go, let's look at a couple of verses out of the New Testament here. Um, go to Mark chapter 2. By the way, it's, these are in all of the synoptic gospels. Um, Mark chapter 2 and verse... Um, uh-oh. Oh, I'm in Matthew, that's why. Let's see. Mark chapter 2, verse 27. And actually, the story here is of the disciples. Well, this we actually ought to read this whole story. Um, it says, starting at verse uh, 23, One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. As they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any person but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So we have this unusual picture. Jesus and his disciples are walking through the fields. And who takes grain? Disciples. Is Jesus? That's interesting. Jesus, as far as we know, isn't doing this. They're accusing him of his disciples breaking the Sabbath. So 
because they're taking the, the grain. Uh, let me just tell you my, my understanding. I hear people say that Jesus broke the Sabbath. I do not believe Jesus ever violated the Sabbath law because I don't believe Jesus ever violated any of the laws. Jesus was our righteousness. He was born under the law. He lived under the law perfectly. And as a result, his sacrifice frees us from the, the law. So it's interesting because Jesus doesn't argue with the Pharisees that his disciples have not. He could have said they didn't violate the Sabbath. That's not what he said. What does he do? He says, well, David violated one of your laws, and you're okay with that. So they're rubbing. They're doing that, and that's like using the scissors. There's something wrong with that. That's, that's um, doing work. That's threshing on the Sabbath. Um, and by the way, you, we can disagree on that. Maybe they hadn't violated it. What's interesting is Jesus doesn't take them on on that. He just points them to something David did, which was clearly a violation of the law. And he's trying to make a deeper principle. And what's the principle? There's actually two of them. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Remember, the Sabbath is a gift. They had forgotten that. And second, that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Okay. Don't ever forget that. Who is the Lord of the Sabbath? Jesus. Jesus is our Lord. Um, I want to fast forward. Remember when the, the, the uh, sheep comes down? Filled with food? Peter, kill and eat. Those of you who don't know the story, he's on his way to Cornelius to enter the Gentiles in. And Jews are not allowed to eat with Gentiles. And there's that sheet, a vision, and there's filled with all these disgusting animals that are unclean. There was a pig in there, I'm sure. And there were the things that you couldn't eat. And God says to Peter, arise, Peter, kill and eat. And what does Peter say? Never, Lord. I would never eat any of that food. How many times does God have to show him the vision? Three times. Three times God tells Peter, I, I mean, Peter tells God, I will not eat that. I know you're ordering me to, but I won't do it. Okay? Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Just like God is the Lord of the dietary laws. Okay? Just like circumcision is a sign for the Jews. Um, there's something changing here for Jesus to make that statement. Uh, remember, that's in the context of some of the things that Paul will be saying. All right? Um, go to um, Mark chapter 12. <coughs> Verse 10. Uh-oh. Now I'm in the wrong place. Now it's Matthew chapter 12. Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> This is the story of the man with the withered hand, and Jesus heals him on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees take issue, and Jesus says, um, asks them a question. Well, let's read the whole thing, because it's not that long. He went out from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, this is a setup, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. There's another principle. Sabbath is made for man. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and it is right to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him to destroy him. So we see that tension there that Jesus, Jesus sees the bait, takes it, and says, this is an important enough issue. It's right to do good on the side. Um, I go to John chapter 5. This is the story of the man who is at the pool. And he's lame. And um, he's been waiting by the pool of Bethesda for, for 38 years. And Jesus comes to him and asks that incredible question in verse 6, do you want to be healed? <laughs> um, 
and he heals him. But the problem is, now Jesus gives the command, we'll start in verse 8. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and took up the bed, and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. Do you understand? Who's the Lord of the Sabbath? Jesus. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. They asked him, who is this man? Um, take up your bed and walk. And, and they don't, there's a little bit more to the story, but jump down to verse 16. Um, this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them when they said, how could you tell him to do that? It was a fascinating. My father is working until now, and I am working. That dog is not still at rest. Um, so Jesus can be working on the Sabbath. Um, that the principle of rest there is brought back in, but the idea that God is resting on the Sabbath is not true. God is still at work, and Jesus is to be at work. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. A um, couple of others, let me just mention these. Uh, remember the story of the man born blind? He ran out of time otherwise. And he gets healed. Everybody know when he gets healed on? The Sabbath. The Sabbath. And Jesus made mud and put it on his eyes. And see, that was a violation of the Sabbath to do that in there. And, and basically, um, he says to the, they ask him, um, give glory to God, we know this man is a sinner. Because he worked on the Sabbath. And what does blind man say? say um, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. But uh, once I was blind, but now I see. And then Jesus accuses the Pharisees of being blind. You're the ones who can't see. You're blind. Um, and then one last one, and that is that Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees accuse him of healing on the Sabbath, and he brings up an interesting thing. He says, when a boy is eight years old, the law says that he's to be circumcised on the Sabbath, if his Sabbath falls on his eighth day, and you do that because you put circumcision as more important than the Sabbath law. And he said... Um, I am making a man whole on the Sabbath, and I'm not violating the Sabbath because of that. So that's the Gospels. There's, there's this war that's going on. Now, you could say, well, it's just a war between um, how to interpret the Sabbath, but there's something fundamental going on here. Jesus is making statements about himself and about the Sabbath. So now we get to the apostolic writings, and I know we're close to the end of time, so we'll try and, try and finish this up. We may revisit it next week, but, but um, I, I hope we can move on from there. Um, what's amazing is how quiet the rest of the New Testament is about the Sabbath. We believe, and there's not a lot of evidence to it, um, and I, we don't need to turn there, but in Acts 13, it talks about Paul's custom was meeting on the Sabbath. In Acts 16, it talks about Paul um, going into the Sabbath. And there's some other verses in Acts that imply that the Christians met on the Sabbath, that they continue to meet on the Sabbath to worship Christ, which would make sense. Um, and then somewhere along the way, it appears that they switched over to the Lord's Day, to Sunday. Um, Acts 20, verse 7 talks about when you gather on the Lord's Day, um, First Corinthians talks about on the Lord's Day bring your tithe or set aside your tithe on the Lord's Day and Revelation the vision of Revelation to John or Re the, the vision that comes to John in Revelation takes place when he's in the spirit on the Lord's Day so that's about it if you say when did the Old Testament the, the, the New Testament church worship the New Testament is pretty quiet on that okay um, but we have a feeling that it started on the, the Sabbath, but at some point it switched to be more inclusive onto Sunday. And so they began worshiping on Sunday, which would have been a huge issue for a Jew. They're saying, you're a Jew, you have never violated the Sabbath in your life. 
And now all of a sudden we're going to start meeting on Sunday. What does that do to you? Okay. What, what does that do to your understanding? What have I just done? So where does the New Testament then talk about it? Well, what's interesting is it talks about it in the area of dealing with a weaker brother. And it talks about it in terms of being beholden to the law. So let me show you a couple of passages. Um, go to 11, uh, Romans uh, chapter 14, verses 5 through 9. This is the famous passage, what I would call gray areas. Um, judging <coughs> one another because their understanding of their freedom in Christ is different than yours. So um, we all know the first one, I think. In fact, if I asked you, what's the gray area that's talked about in, in Romans? Uh, food sacrifice to idols, right? What, what, what do you do with food sacrifice to idols? There were some people who felt like since the idols aren't really gods and you can get the meat cheaper, let's do that. And then there were others who said, no, these are offered to gods. That's I used to worship that god. No way I'm doing that. And Paul said, what? Don't judge each other. Let each man be convinced in his conscience. But now go to number or verse 5. The second issue here is the, the, the which days are holy. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. So, Paul is pretty clear here. If you have somebody in your congregation who says all days are the same, then if his conscience is clear, that's fine. And if you have somebody who says, no, one day is more important than another, then, then uh, that's fine as long as his conscience is clear. It's like eating meat sacrificed to idols. Um, Colossians 2. Jump over there with me. Colossians chapter 2. Um, Colossians, of course, deals with this issue. It was being written, people who were uh, wanting to go back into circumcision, uh, go back into understanding the law. Um, verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive, uh, captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ, for in him the whole fullness... Oh, I... Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I'm in the wrong spot, but we're in the right place. Go over to verse um, 16. I'm sorry. Chapter 2, but I meant to start at a different spot. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are the shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insist, insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, and, and so on. Um, and then it talks about that that is earthly wisdom in verse 20. Uh, one last one. Go to Galatians. Back up a couple. But remember, this is the first book after James in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 4. Um, Galatians is a shot across the bow for people who want to merge, somehow merge Judaism and, and Christianity together. Uh, the whole book deals with the idea of adding something to Christ by making us read, um, making us obey the Old Testament law, even if it just means to have the men be circumcised. And in Galatians chapter 4, Four, verse 8. Um, Formerly you did not know God, and you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Um, you observe certain days 
faded out and Rod couldn't hear you. in their own mind and doing the right thing. Where they begin to judge each other is where the sin comes in. Okay? Now. in the Old Testament in, the, in um, the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament with the exception of the Sabbath where the, the principle is actually seems to be overturned and you're to do um, we're not to set necessarily one day as more important than another however there is an important command in Hebrews which parallels this, but it's not the Sabbath, it's a different principle, but it is do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And the, the church met traditionally on Sunday. Um, what's interesting though, if you're in a big congregation, hold on that, you'll often have Saturday night services. And you know, it was interesting when that started, my brother goes to a Saturday night service. It was kind of like, that's wrong. <laughs> well, what have I just done? I've set one day above another. I've decided that Saturday, which is interesting, is the traditional Sabbath. They have more of a claim than I do. Um, is That's bad. But Sunday, that's, that's when we're supposed to worship. However, the principle is still there that we are to be meeting together. A Christian who says, oh, there's no Sabbath anymore. And by the way, the, the Sabbath, you didn't have to meet anywhere. That's, an, that's something that the, the uh, Christians did because remember the principle, we're trying to bring the two parties together. We're trying to bring people together. We have to meet together. So um, nothing in what I said gets rid of the idea that we should be meeting. If you're a member of Grace Church, you should be here on Sunday morning if you are uh, able to because... This is when the body meets. Okay, so let's make sure we have that. No, like you said, it probably took place, uh, the original church was Jewish, and they probably continued, again, the New Testament's really sketchy, probably continued meeting on the Sabbath. But then as time went on, um, the, it, it switched over to the Lord's Day. In that verse in Hebrews, you could argue that both sides were upholding that verse and that principle in Hebrews in their own way, in that whether it was meeting every day or meeting on Sunday, neither of them was neglecting to meet with one another. So yeah. both you could say both in their own way were keeping up that principle. So you could argue that there's no sin there either way. And really 
arguing over what day to meet is kind of a moot point. Okay. Yeah. David. No, no, I was going to run out of time, but I'm glad you're mentioning it. Yeah. yeah, I just think Steve Lee gives the concept of rest a very salvific um, concept, right? So um, the point of having a day of rest is directly connected to our fundamental gospel belief that we have stopped doing our works and we've begun trusting the work of God, right? So that's, that's Hebrews 4, I think, is making a very gospel point. The, the shadow of the Sabbath was just um, a point of physical rest, but there was a very spiritual point in there, which is you don't need to work for your salvation. And I think we need to see Christ as a fulfillment. He brings a new and a better understanding. And so I just, I'd argue if you really want to be serious about keeping the Sabbath, then you will stop pursuing your own work for your own righteousness and you'll trust in Christ alone. And I'd say that's the best theological argument for what you can do with the day of Sabbath. You should trust Jesus and, and not trust your own good works to get you to heaven. Thank you for that. Uh, Jesus, of course, says, Come unto me, all you who are heavy labor, laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, uh, he offers that. Uh, the Hebrews passages that talk about, the, uh, like David said, the, um, we, we strive to enter God's rest. Um, so, Hebrews 4 9, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. Okay, so that's that's the first we should have used. There's a future moment. Sabbath. Yeah, there's a future Sabbath, but God is God rested from his work, so we will rest from our work. question is what we do. Do we, do we just say that there's no Sabbath principle? Well, like David said, there is a Sabbath principle. Um, I, I do think that if we back up even a little further than that, that the idea of taking and resting one day from our physical labor is something that was a gift from God. Uh, is not something that you have to do because it's been fulfilled. Um, but but to to throw that principle out and say no let's just let's just go full time I, I I think we do miss something out of the Old Testament but again like David said the ultimate fulfillment is is bigger than that but um, anyway so that's the Sabbath principle I I believe that that is the one law out of the Ten Commandments that if you decide to say no. You need to take and stop one day and rest all day on Sunday or Saturday or whatever that you are actually putting yourself under the law. So, by the way, I also know that I think historically that's not the typical position. Um, if you go back to early 20th century, uh, you would have found that to be somewhat of a heretical view. If we were to go back even further. Um, uh, there's been a strong feeling that Sunday has to be set aside for worship and for for rest and for doing good works. Um, and I just 
I think we have to think it through and, and take what the whole Bible says and that. But I'm aware of the fact that I may be out of the mainstream of historical Christianity as well. Go ahead, Dan. I think it's funny how much all your works to make us that you're righteous before God. Because I think you do have to think, oh, Sunday is the day of Sabbath. And not even in the 20th century, I know, you know, on the old level, interesting though because you do you set up those rules and okay so we get people to, to kind of obey this but if it's if it is um, done from legalism or to increase our standard with God then it's always wrong it always misses the point of, uh, of what Jesus did for us so. okay let's go ahead and close in prayer